Well, I don't know if you have ever been in jail, but I have. Not in the way you might have just thought, though. I volunteer as a chaplain with the police in our township, which means I go on ride-alongs with the officers. And many times on those ride-alongs, we need to arrest people and take them to jail. And so I've seen that process through. And it starts with those little silver bracelets, handcuffs, uh, and moves on to a very uncomfortable car ride. And then pretty soon you hear the loud buzzing of electronic locks opening doors and then the rumbling of steel doors rolling shut. Then you hear the 24 hour a day buzz of fluorescent lights and you smell the stale air and you know that you are locked in and you're locked down and you're very, very conscious that there's a life out there, but you're not there. You're on the inside. Today, we're continuing in our series, The Lies We Believe and the Truth That Sets Us Free. And we use that phrase, sets free, because lies actually trap us. They imprison us. Here's the way I'd put it. I'd say, believing a lie is like locking yourself in prison. You feel restrained, locked down, confined. There's life on the outside, but you're stuck on the inside behind bars. So because we know that Jesus' truth is there to set us free, today we're going to be considering lies and truth by looking at scripture and also a couple insights from a book by Chris Thurman called The Lies We Believe. If you read that book, you'll see much of my approach uh, as I move through the time here this morning. And as I begin, I want to give a big shout out to Grace West, my home turf. Love you guys. And a warm welcome to all of you who are tuning in across our network or even at home. You're welcome. We're glad that you're here with us. I want to talk today about the feeling of lies. That is the feeling of being trapped, of stuck inside, of being locked down. And partly it's because it's the time of year that we're in. It's February, right? It's kind of that blah month. It's dark. It's cold. A lot of us have been stuck inside because of ice and snow. It's a hard month for many folks. Also, if you didn't know, we're rolling into that second week of February, which means Valentine's Day is coming. And that pushes all kinds of issues, hard issues, about relationships into our hearts and minds. Now, I'm all for treating special someone's special. Chocolate, flowers, cards, all, all that sort of stuff. You can ask my wife. But the fact is, Valentine's Day provokes some issues. Provokes some issues. You know, on Valentine's Day, as we head into it, 36 million people buy heart-shaped boxes of candy. We should call this Dentist Job Security Day, right? Nine million people buy things for their pets. That's just kind of weird. I, I, I don't know. Almost $20 billion are spent. One billion cards are exchanged. It's the second most card-giving day after Christmas. And I wonder if you thought about who gets the most Valentines. Well, I'll tell you, in descending orders, teachers, kids, moms, wives, girlfriends. Now, if you're giving a card to every category that I just listed, especially the last two categories, you actually need a different sermon. You can come see me afterwards. 
64% of men, that's almost two-thirds, guys, do not make plans in advance of Valentine's Day, which explains why 25% of women say that Valentine's Day is the most disappointing holiday. Some of you guys right now are like this guy. You're already trying not to figure out how to disappoint that special someone. This kind of explains why 20% of the flowers sold for Valentine's Day are sold to women buying them for themselves. Here's what's true, folks. Valentine's Day provokes a variety of feelings, and many of them are negative. If you're on social media too much, you feel a kind of longing or a feeling like you're on the outside looking in, or if you use that jail analogy, you're locked inside and you're seeing a life that's out there but you know it isn't in here. Valentine's Day for you can just be a reminder of what isn't there. And that can be true whether you're single or dating or married. You can just feel bad. And when you do, there's this little lie that whispers through your soul, and that lie is this, I will never find fulfillment. This is the lie of despair. And some of you know this despairing thought about fulfillment because you've been on a fulfillment treadmill. You've thought, when I date, I'll be fulfilled and never struggle with self-worth. You've thought, when I'm married, I'll be fulfilled and I'll never struggle with lust or pornography. You've thought, when I have kids, I'll be fulfilled and I'll never wrestle with satisfaction. You've thought, when I have a career, I'll be fulfilled and I'll never struggle with meaning. You've thought, when I retire, I'll be fulfilled and I'll never struggle with direction. But at the end of the day, the treadmill stops and you're still stuck, locked up inside, wondering whether you'll ever experience any fulfillment or sure that you're not, sure that there's a life out there that isn't in here. My prayer for you, my prayer for us today is that Jesus will set us free. And so we're going to be thinking about things in two parts. The first part, we're going to be considering lies. The second part, we're going to be receiving truth that will set us free. And if you're taking notes, you might just want to draw a line right down the middle of your page. You see, some of us have believed this lie for so long that we don't even know that's a lie that we believed. We're just bitter and harsh and cynical towards others in relationships. We have simmering anger that flares up in disproportionate ways. We have a wandering eye of envy that always looks towards others who have the life that we want. Or we just engage in numbing behavior. We binge on Netflix and Facebook and Candy Crush and Angry Birds or pornography or drugs or alcohol. We just have a sense of anxiety or even despair that nothing will change and that we have no hope of fulfillment. I want to share with you this morning that there were times, dark times in my married life, when I related to a lot on this list. Not everything, but, but a lot of things on this list. Because I believed some lies and started to despair of fulfillment. I felt stuck or, or trapped. The life that I wanted was, was out there, but I knew it wasn't in here. Our marriage seemed like a dark tunnel with no light. And you know, there were actually two supporting lies that I had believed that helped me get into that dark place. The first lie is this. It's, it's the all her fault lie. For you, that might be the all his fault, or if you're talking with the person, the all your fault lie. This is the lie of blame. It actually started a long time ago with Adam and Eve. God came to Adam to confront him for his sin. Adam had eaten of the tree that God said, don't eat anything from that tree. And what did Adam do? 
He said, the woman you put here with me gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So Adam's really saying, look, it's not really exactly my fault. It's, it's her fault. And by the way, I don't know if you've noticed this, Adam's actually saying to God, it's kind of your fault. Like you put the woman here. It's kind of your fault too, God. It's the lie of blame. In relationships, it kind, kind of sounds like this. I have my act totally together, and you, you're a complete mess. And if it weren't for you, we'd be getting along fantastically. Sometimes this lie of blame arises just because of personal habits. Uh, The OCD neat freak blames the clutter producer. The dirty shirt tosser blames the precision laundry folder. The haphazard dish stacker blames the picky dishwasher arranger. You know that's you if you know there's a place for each sort of size dish and knife and fork and the the, the one cup that you have, it kind of goes right back there. That's you. And the blamer, the blamer actually means more than just it's all your fault. The blamer actually means I'm better than you. And so the blamer will criticize flaws, shame your imperfections, be hypervigilant for your mistakes, and and overlook all your positive qualities and and, and hold you at arm's length because he can't hear any critique of himself. The blamer walks around with an air of superiority that simply drips with the idea that I am better. The blamer is the embodiment of what Jesus said when he talked about judging, saying you're trying to take a speck out of someone else's eye, but there's a plank in your own eye. Now, when I read this section of Chris Thurman's book, I was like, oh, man, this is pretty close to home. And then I kind of started laughing because there's no way around it. That's me. And I went downstairs, and I found my wife. I'm like, oh, man, I was such a mess. And she just started laughing. I was like, I read her this sentence, walk around with the smell of superiority. She was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I started laughing. You see, I, I was kind of an overachiever. I didn't just have a plank in my eye. I, like, had a whole lumber mill. I was like making extra planks for everyone else in case they needed one so they could be as good as I was. You know, lumber mills make a lot of noise. I don't know if you know that. Uh, Last fall, it was kind of like a lumber mill right outside my office over at Grace West when we were doing our renovations. They were cutting wood, cutting planks, cutting metal, and there was this constant din and rumbling outside. It became like the background noise for Grace West. And blame actually is like that. It's kind of like the background noise of a lumber mill sawing planks of self-righteousness in relationships, making planks all day long. And the noise of blame, it, it actually can be pretty tragic. I remember sitting down uh, with a husband who, who was having an affair, and, and, and this had just been found out, and he was kind of making his rationalizations to me, and he actually blamed his wife. It was her fault that he was having an affair. And then as the conversation went on, because I had known them for a while, he actually kind of implied it was sort of my fault too. Like somehow I had sort of caused him to, to do what he did. It, yeah, it, it didn't really work. In my own situation, the noise of blame sounded a little bit like this beginning of a conversation that I'm going to show you. Now, my wife and I have been married 30 years. It's a long time. We're super happy. But there were some, some years, more than a few years, where, where there were some rough times. And so I'm going to show you the beginning of a conversation. It wasn't just one conversation, though. It was like a repeated conversation. I don't know if you have those like over and over again. And this is kind of a distillation of how it went. Here's, here's how it went. I get anxious when there's clutter. You didn't clean up your clutter. It's your fault that I'm anxious. Now, you you may have your own version of that sort of a conversation. There's parts of that conversation that were not spoken but were heard. 
And again, I told my wife what I was going to talk about today, and she was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, here's the unspoken but heard part. Remember, I'm speaking. I'm talking. This is my wife listening. This is what she heard. I get anxious when there's clutter. You didn't clean up your clutter. I'm better. I cleaned up mine. It's your fault that I'm anxious. I'll never be fulfilled, which, by the way, is your fault as well. How do you think a conversation that starts like that ends up? So this week, uh, I read this story about this program in, in a zoo in London. They were trying to save the species of rare European tigers. It's, it's a true story. It sounds crazy. But, but they had this program. And, and so for, for years, they had kind of figured out, OK, where's, where's a male and a female tiger? And we've got to get them together to make some little tigers. We, we need more. And so they planned and kind of got these tigers and, and brought them together. And, and then for a long time, they put them in cages like next to each other so they could, you know, get used to each other, kind of start to like each other, right? Kind of get used to each other, and boy, that was going really well. And they, they, again, lots of research, thinking, planning, the expectations and hopes these tigers were going to save the future of this species of tigers, right? And, and so finally, this past week, they, after all this time, they got them in the same cage together. You know what happened? They tore each other apart, yeah, it didn't go well at all. One of them actually killed the other one. Like, oh, yeah, rough. It's kind of how conversations that start like this go. I, I don't know if you know that. You just kind of start tearing each other apart. They don't go well. Actually, this conversation brings us to, to the second lie that I kind of bought into. It's the lie that you must meet all my needs. You must meet all my needs. This is the lie of expectation. You must 100% categorically, comprehensively, completely meet all of my emotional, spiritual, and relational needs. So let's go back to the dialogue. This is kind of uh, embedded in actually the very first thing that I said many times. I get anxious when there's clutter. It's your job to fix my anxiety. I didn't quite say that, but boy, we both know that's what I meant. Chris Thurman notes in his book, uh, in this meet all my needs type of setting, that this is an impossibly high bar for couples because our human needs are real, they're legitimate, and the list of them is really long. This is what he says about this type of relationship. In a you're supposed to meet all my needs marriage, both people feel let down by the other and end up feeling hurt and angry. In this kind of marriage, each day is just another reminder of what a complete and utter failure they are as mates. Wow. This quote and, and this outline, this is like, kind of like looking at my journal from the bad years. I felt stuck and locked down and trapped. And, and the truth is, so did my wife. So here's a question. Like, how did we go from that dark tunnel with no light and the sound of a lumber mill and kind of the din of fighting tigers? How did we go to that to laughing about my self-righteousness and looking back and going, oh, man. Well, it starts with this anchor verse for our series that we're in. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It starts with this focus on Jesus and our response to him and his teaching and this understanding that lies come from the enemy, the father of lies, and that for me and my wife and our relationship, we had to learn to walk out this truth. We had to walk away from years of lies and walk into truth, and that takes time, it takes help, 
It takes working together. It takes other folks. It takes the intervention of God himself. And so I want to share with you some truth this morning that will directly combat the lies that I've talked about. And more importantly, it will bring light, I hope, even it's at the end of a very long tunnel for you. So our scripture today is from John 10, in in which we see some of the great Bible metaphors, the metaphors of sheep and shepherds, that is God in Jesus Christ as the great shepherd and us as his sheep. And we see this image there, and it's the image of the sheepfold. This is the opposite image of prison. This is a corral or pen, and it's in the open or the wild, and the sheep go there at night, and that's where they are safe. Instead of being a place of of stale air and being locked down and stuck inside, it's a place that helps the sheep know that they are protected from the enemies. It's a place they can go in and out of where there's fresh air, where there's green grass, where there's a cool pasture for them. It's a place of provision, life, and freedom. Now in our passage, Jesus says he's both the gate for the sheepfold or the corral, and he's also the shepherd leading the sheep in. So I'm going to read through some verses, and you can follow along with me on the screen. Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Now, our most important truth for today is about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's all about. Because he says in the heart of the verses that I just read, he says his heart for you. He says, I've come that they may have life and life to the full. That word to the full there, that means abundantly, means going beyond, it means extraordinary, it means more than is needed, it means life at its scarcely imagined best, it means remarkable, it means having a life that lacks nothing. The thief is a liar who steals and destroys marriages and relationships and careers and lives and fulfillment. The thief says, You can't find an extraordinary, remarkable life at its best. But Jesus says, I have come. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I've come to find the lost sheep to bring life to the full. This is the same Jesus who said, I've come for the least and the last and the lost. This is the same Jesus who said, I've come to proclaim freedom to the prisoners to release the oppressed, to set free the captives. This is the Jesus who walks into our prison of of lies about never finding fulfillment, who walks past our locked doors and our hearts, past that stale air of despair. This Jesus walks into our captivity and he says, I have come and I am bringing life to the full because I am the life. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am bringing all of that life to you. And so to the lie that I'll never find fulfillment, God's word to us today is that Jesus, fulfillment in the person embodying the fullness of God himself and all of that fulfillment, Jesus is bringing that fulfillment 
And he is seeking you. Just like that lie of despair of never finding fulfillment is supported by some smaller lies of blame and expectation, this truth about Jesus is received through some additional truths. And the first one is this, Jesus is seeking us because we need a shepherd. This is the truth of responsibility. It frees us from having to blame other people to say it's her fault or his fault or your fault. And we can see this truth all over the Bible. If you go back to the first half of the Bible, you'll see uh, in, in one of the books this verse. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned. We wander in our own directions. We need a shepherd. And you can see that in, in our verses for today. You can see the sheep need to be saved. That means they need to be guarded and protected from harm. They need access to food. They need a way in and out to save pasture. They need to be protected from their own inclination to wander off. You know, when we wander, we're we're like lost sheep, and we don't take responsibility for ourselves. We, We blame others for our feelings and our words and our actions, even our lack of control. And sometimes we even pretend that we know the way, even though we're completely lost. But when I walk out the truth that I need a shepherd, I admit that I need some help. For me, with trusted counselors and friends and the intervention of God and a lot of patience from a lot of people, I actually learned I had feelings and that feelings had words. It it was an amazing breakthrough for me. I remember once doing some training and and in the training that I was doing, we were helping people understand that feelings had words. And and in that training, there there was a guy who's a scientist who deals with a lot of data and he was looking at three or four pages of columns of small print. And and the column and the small prints were all words for feelings, different ways you could feel. And and he he just laughed. He said, I I didn't know there were so many ways that you could say how you felt. In in his world and in mine, you'd say, well, I feel bad. And that was about it, right? Or you had some other word. It's amazing. I learned that you could use words to say all kinds of ways that you feel. And and I discovered that when you do that, when I verbalized those feelings, it began to open some gates out of prison and open gates into green pastures. I I actually learned that that household chores are, are not moral issues. I know, you can, you can hear the sawmills of self-righteousness just rumbling away when I say that, right? Uh, household chores are not moral issues, they're, they're just stuff to do. And, and if you think about this distilled conversation, it, be, it began to change a little bit. And again, these are things I actually said, uh, and, and still working on learning how to say, I, I feel anxious when there's clutter, but my anxiety isn't your fault, I, I need a shepherd. And this leads us to the second truth that helps us receive Jesus' fulfillment, and that is, he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He's your shepherd. He's my good shepherd. And this is why he says, I am the good shepherd. It's the truth of identity. And it frees us from the lie that any one person can meet all of our needs, because the truth is, God and Jesus Christ is the only one who can fill that role. This is true, and we see it all over the Bible. Think of the great prayers of the Bible, like Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. God meets all my needs. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. You can't say that to your husband or your wife. That's God's job. 
God is the one who can meet our needs in that way. See, for Deb and I, that freed us up. It freed me up to see my wife as a partner, as a fellow sheep in the flock. So our conversations that we have now go something like this. I get anxious when there's clutter, but my anxiety isn't your fault. I I know I need some help. Can we work together on the clutter? You know, that's a whole different conversation to have with someone that you care about. The, the noise of the lumber mills making the planks of self-righteousness, it's kind of gone. The, the sound of two tigers tearing themselves apart, it's, it, it's not there either. Instead, what you end up with is kind of maybe the background sound of a, of a, of a little cafe with a table for two. It kind of almost looks like a date. We, we never talk about clutter on dates. Like, don't do that. It's, it doesn't, it's not good. That's not what dates are for. But... But the point here of this picture is it shows you that you can actually have a conversation and a sense of togetherness. You see, there, there isn't really another person who can provide for you like the good shepherd. Not a wife, not a husband, not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend, not your kids, not your parents, not a roommate, not your best pal. And there's nothing you can buy that can do that. And your, your career can't do that. Your, your hidden porn sites can't do that. Your stash of pills can't do that. You, the bottle in the bottom of your desk drawer, it can't do that. For some of us, fulfillment issues really aren't about marriage or relationships. Uh, some of us have let our career ambitions or some substance or lust itself or, or fill in the blank become our shepherds. And what we're discovering is that that shepherd isn't good. Shepherd's more like a thief or a robber or a liar, not guiding us to green pastures, but to soul captivity. But there's good news. And the good news is this, whatever your imprisonment, however you're stuck, whichever lies you might believe, whatever dark place you're in, Jesus is seeking you, and he's the good shepherd. And if you follow him past the lies into truth, you will find green pastures. He will restore your soul. He will lead you by quiet waters. He will even offer you his own life, which he gives up freely for you. And notice in the last verse of our selection here today uh, that, that Jesus, the good shepherd, says this, I, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. You know, social media creates such a superficial level of knowing today. You know, you, you can read and into that word knowing, that same kind of knowing that you have with your Facebook friends when you're talking with somebody else and you're talking about a person you know on Facebook and they're your Facebook friend and then you kind of have to say, well, I don't, I don't really actually like know them. They're just my, my Facebook friends. And, and sometimes we can think that's how Jesus is. Like when he says, I know my sheep, he's kind of meaning more like, well, my sheep are my Facebook friends. Because, you know, there's a lot of sinners, and I'm the friend of sinners, and I, you know, they're my Facebook friends. One, one writer, J.I. Packer, says this about God's knowing of us. He says, what matters supremely is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact that underlies it, the fact that he knows me, that I'm graven on his hands, that I'm never out of his mind, that he knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. Jesus says he calls his sheep by name, and what he means by that is that this is a personal issue. 
That Jesus just doesn't seeking us generically, he's seeking you and I. In fact, you could rewrite this outline of truth very personally. Jesus is seeking me. I need a shepherd, and he's the good shepherd. And when you do that, you can see that it kind of crosses out those lies. Here's what's true. Jesus knows where and how and in what ways you struggle with fulfillment. He knows the lies you believe and he knows the truth you struggle with. And he wants to set your life and your marriage and your dating relationship and your your parenting and your kids and your career ambitions and and your habits and your hangups and your hurts. And he wants to set all of these into the context of eternity against the backdrop of grace and the fabric of hope. And so he says to you, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So I want to leave you with a challenge this morning. Here's your challenge. I want you to decide where you want to live. Do you want to live in captivity or green pastures? Do you want to live with the sound of the lumber mill of self-righteousness churning along or the, the sound of tigers fighting? Or do you want to be in the place where you can have a table for two and and have gentle conversation together. You know, tigers are solitary creatures. They're all about their territory. And, and sheep, sheep are about being together in a flock. And, and the truth of the scripture is that this issue of where you want to leave, live uh, is, is decided by whether you want to follow the truth. Follow Jesus. He's the gate. He's the good shepherd. He'll lead you to fulfillment. Or whether you want to believe a lie, and go past the locking doors into that stale air where you're stuck inside. You know, our word for 2019 across all our networks at Grace uh, was shared with us in terms of vision last month from our lead lead pastor, Sung, and, and, and he said it's the word with. The word with. Deciding to live in freedom means deciding to live with the sheep and the shepherd. And if you want to live there, you, you got to get into settings where that truth telling and sharing happens, where you can share about your struggles and challenges and worries. That's why we have community groups. That's why we have leadership at our church. That's why we, we have our lobby. You know, our vision for our church isn't that we're all like Facebook friends. We want to be actual friends, to know each other because Jesus knows us. And, and, and when we do that truth telling, we also need to do some truth listening, right? Other sheep need to be able to say to us, hey, uh, I can hear the lumber mills of self-righteousness and blame making planks for your eye. Or to be able to hear, um, I, I don't know if you know this, but, but your husband isn't Jesus. You married a sinner and actually he did too. Or, or to hear this truth like, man, sounds like you haven't really been following the good shepherd. It sounds a little more like you're just kind of wandering around out there. No wonder you and your wife are unhappy. And when you do that kind of truth telling and, and truth sharing under the, the shepherd's hand with the, with the flock, uh, you'll actually do some, some laughing. You'll experience joy, just like, just like I shared with you this morning. I, I can look back and go, oh man, I was so messed up. I can't believe that. But God is so good. And he's led me out of that dark place. And, and, and you'll be able to say that by God's grace as well. So my challenge for you this morning is, is you got to decide uh, where you want to live. And my hope and my prayer is that, that where you want to live is, is with the sheep under the hand of the great shepherd. So, so let me just pray for you. God, this morning, we, we, we need your grace. We need your leading. We need your shepherding. We need your guiding. Uh, without you, we're, we're prone to wander and, and we believe lies and we get into arguments and fights and we, we do things to find fulfillment that lead us into prison. But with you, God, 
with you. We can walk into to green pastures. To, to, we can lay down beside cool waters. You can restore our souls. And so, God, I, I pray that you'll be at work. God, lead us in that way. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.